Thank you for tuning in to the True Suspense podcast, completely free with no interruptions from advertising. If you enjoy what you hear, we would greatly appreciate it if you would follow or subscribe and rate and review our podcast. It helps new listeners find us. Please note that Season 3 includes a description of a serious shooting incident, so listener discretion is advised. Buckle up and get ready for True Suspense. I'm Arthur Perlstein, and this podcast from the True Suspense Collection is Night Raids. Here is Episode 5, To Tell the Truth. We begin this installment by turning the clock back many hundreds of years. In the year 1199, King Richard the Lionhearted of Britain died without leaving an heir. His brother John became king but did not exactly make himself popular. King John rejected the appointment of the Archbishop of Canterbury, putting himself in a major feud with Pope Innocent III, who excommunicated John from the Catholic Church. John subsequently went to war with France, and, though winning some battles, suffered humiliating defeats and failed to gain control of disputed lands. Perhaps above all, John earned widespread resentment through heavily taxing his subjects and demanding large sums of money from British barons who were already becoming rebellious. By June 15th of the year 1215, King John and his supporters, the rebel barons, church leaders, and the archbishop all met at Runnymede. While King John's fighting men were scattered throughout his kingdom, the rebels arrived at full military strength. Forced into a corner, John accepted the terms included in a document that became known to history as the Magna Carta. Although the original provisions were largely for the benefit of the wealthy, Considered most significant even today was chapter 39, which famously provided, quote, No free man shall be seized, imprisoned, dispossessed, outlawed, exiled, or ruined in any way, nor in any way proceeded against, except by the lawful judgment of his peers and the law of the land, unquote. The Magna Carta emerged as a foundation of English law and later became a source of important legal principles found in the U.S. Constitution and Bill of Rights, 
including the Fourth Amendment right of the people to be secure against unreasonable searches and seizures. The date, June 15, 1215, became a major milestone in the history of liberty. And so it was that on June 15, 2015, the very week that the grand jury was to convene in Dublin, Georgia, a rally outside the Lawrence County Courthouse highlighted the 800th anniversary of the Magna Carta as those gathered, including Teresa Hooks, demanded justice for David Hooks. Despite a temperature in triple digits, a diverse crowd was steadfast in speaking of basic civil rights and insisting that those responsible for the death of David Hooks be held criminally accountable. Charles Sumblin, a representative of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, the Atlanta-based African American Civil Rights Organization, exclaimed that, quote, it's a white man killed by police, but it's still civil rights, unquote. In fact, Mr. Sumblin went even further, saying, quote, this case is going to turn the tide. It'll bring the white community into the circle, too, unquote. I'll have more to say about that a little bit later. Meanwhile, at the same rally, Sam Moore, a Republican former state congressman from a conservative county near Atlanta, explained why he had driven over two hours to attend the rally, saying David Hooks was, quote, the kind of person people aspire to be in America, and the government comes in unprovoked to search for evidence and kills him. People usually assume people in these kinds of cases are guilty, and here's a case where he isn't, unquote. Two days after the rally, on Wednesday, June 17, 2015, the grand jury began its deliberations. Late on the very next day, Thursday, June 18th, Special Prosecutor Chuck Spejos announced that the grand jury had completed its deliberations and it had made a formal presentation to the court. He also explained that Sheriff Bill Harrell was given a copy of the presentments and would be given a chance to file a response by the end of the following week. At that time, the grand jury findings and recommendations would become public record. In other words, David Hooks's widow and a tense community would have to wait another week to learn what conclusions the grand jury had reached. Botched drug raids pursuant to search warrants issued based on questionable evidence or mistakes happen more frequently than some would like to admit and have repeatedly led to unnecessary deaths. Civil rights advocates, like Charles Sumblin at the David Hooks rally, have long argued that the victims are disproportionately from minority communities. In 2006, for example, acting on a search warrant, 
police in Atlanta cut through window security bars and broke down the door of a 92-year-old African-American woman named Katherine Johnston. Thinking she was in the midst of a home invasion, Ms. Johnston fired a shot, though it hit no one. Police responded by firing 39 shots, five of which hit their mark and killed this innocent little old lady. It later turned out that police had actually falsified information about drugs at the house. Those responsible were prosecuted and received several years of prison time. More recently, the case of Brianna Taylor of Louisville, Kentucky, was frequently in the news. In March of 2020, police secured a warrant based on a detective's claim that he had, quote, verified through a U.S. postal inspector that suspected drug leader Jamarcus Glover, Ms. Taylor's former boyfriend, had been, quote, receiving packages at her apartment. Brianna Taylor was a completely innocent 26-year-old emergency room technician and aspiring nurse. Using a battering ram, cops knocked down the door to her apartment and entered shortly after the stroke of midnight. Brianna and her boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, called out, Who is it? from bed when they were startled awake by the noise but they heard no response. Walker, thinking that it was Brianna's former boyfriend breaking in, fired a single shot that struck one of the officers in the thigh. In an all too familiar scene, police opened fire with multiple shots, including five that hit Brianna Taylor and killed her. It turned out that there never was a postal inspector who had verified anything, and the detective had falsified much of what went into the affidavit for the warrant. Three officers were indicted and face up to life in prison, and another one has already pled guilty to federal conspiracy charges. Again, an issue that crosses the left-wing, right-wing divide. Rand Paul, the conservative senator from Kentucky, introduced the Justice for Breonna Taylor Act. Senator Paul described his effort this way, quote, After talking with Breonna Taylor's family, I've come to the conclusion that it's long past time to get rid of no-knock warrants. This bill will effectively end no-knock raids in the United States, unquote. While some states, and more recently the city of Louisville, have banned no-knock warrants, the U.S. Congress has not yet acted. While the warrant in the David Hooks case was not of the no-knock variety, events reflected that police often find themselves breaking into a home based on perceived dangers even seconds after knocking. Back to the tense wait for the grand jury findings. You may recall that when the Georgia Attorney General appointed Chuck Spahos as special prosecutor to investigate the death of David Hooks and the events leading up to it, many in the legal community considered him a so-called friend of police, 
less likely to find fault with the ill-fated raid conducted by the Lawrence County Sheriff's Office. In the vast majority of cases, prosecutors can get grand juries to do whatever they want them to do. Speaking in 1985, a prominent New York judge coined an expression that has become famous. District attorneys have so much influence on grand juries, he said, that by and large they could get them to indict a ham sandwich. On June 24th, the Wednesday of the week after the grand jury had wrapped up its deliberations, the findings were announced and published. The evidence, according to the grand jury, quote, does not support the filing of criminal charges against the deputies. The statements of witnesses, scientific evidence, forensic evidence, medical evidence, and an evaluation of the scene supports the conclusion that special response team members acted in defense of self and others, unquote. And that was that. Perhaps these additional words from the same New York judge whose 1985 ham sandwich statement about grand juries has become so well known sum it up best. Quote, Grand juries operate more often as the prosecutor's pawn than the citizen's shield. Unquote. The only recommendation from the grand jury besides that there be no further criminal investigation, grew out of the jurors' expressed concern that, quote, the sheriff's department chose to execute this search warrant at such a late hour, unquote. So it was recommended that, quote, the sheriff's department review their policies concerning the execution of search warrants and cease from conducting them so late in the evening, unquote. They went on to say that, quote, if a nighttime execution is warranted, the department should ensure that they are clearly identifiable from outside by use of lighted law enforcement vehicles, unquote. Even that recommendation was rejected out of hand by Sheriff Bill Harrell, who said, Quote, we cannot make a blanket announcement to those involved in criminal activity, especially drug activity, that the night is theirs. Unquote. In fact, attached to the grand jury findings was a one page statement by Sheriff Harrell. In it, he expressed appreciation for the deputies involved in the raid on the Hooks home, saying, quote, These deputies put their lives in harm's way to protect the people of Lawrence County and their fellow deputies, He added, It is unfortunate that Mr. Hooks, who was under the influence of methamphetamine, would not cooperate with law enforcement and took aggressive action, The one-page response he had made to the grand jury findings was far from enough for Bill Harrell. The sheriff also issued a very lengthy press release. 
in it. He started by saying he had previously kept silent so as not to interfere with the investigation, but now it was time to speak out. The press release included this accusation from Sheriff Harrell. Quote, The Lawrence County Sheriff's Office would not have been at David Hooks's residence had he not made his decision to involve himself with methamphetamine, a decision I deeply regret for David Hooks and his family. Not only was methamphetamine in his system, but crime lab forensics provides significant evidence linking David Hooks to the stash of methamphetamine seized from a cooperating informant. Unquote. Mitchell Shook, the attorney for Teresa Hooks, later issued a lengthy statement harshly criticizing the prosecution and rebutting the statement of Sheriff Harrell. The following is an excerpt directly from the statement of Mr. Shook. Quote, On behalf of the Hooks family, I would like to express the family's concern over the recent presentment from the committee of grand jury members investigating the Lawrence County Sheriff's Office. The first concern is simply the lack of amount of evidence presented during the meeting, which only lasted approximately 12 hours. We had hoped that all the evidence would have been presented to the grand jury, which obviously was not the case. Neither the sheriff nor any law enforcement officer directly involved testified. What was presented was the statements given by the officers to the GBI. The committee of grand jurors was not told that each one of these officers met privately with the same attorney for several hours prior to them giving their statements to the GBI. Despite the opportunity to get their stories straight, these recorded statements are significantly inconsistent with each other. Mr. Shook continued in his statement, quote, Secondly, we are concerned that the failure to present this committee of grand jurors with all the evidence has caused this committee to make findings that we know to be in contrast to what the real evidence is in this case. Thirdly, it is obvious that certain evidence we deemed to be important was completely omitted from this committee's consideration. It should be noted that the only person present at the scene the night David Hooks was killed who testified before this committee of grand jurors was Teresa Hooks. The grand jurors were not told that the district attorney in Lawrence County ordered Sheriff Bill Harrell to have all his officers drug tested immediately after David Hooks was killed. Despite this order, the sheriff refused to have any of his officers drug tested 
or to undergo a drug test himself. This committee of grand jurors was obviously never told that the test that purports to show methamphetamine in David Hooks's system was done during his autopsy, that David actually lived from the time he was shot down at 10.55 p.m. until approximately 3.15 a.m. the next morning, that during that period of time he was administered many different drugs in an attempt to save his life. Furthermore, the committee of grand jurors was not notified that David Hooks had been taking prescription medication, which will test positive for amphetamine and methamphetamine. These medications were in the home at the time the GBI searched the Hooks residence." Unquote. At the time of Mr. Shook's statement on behalf of the Hooks family, he had no specific response to the sheriff's claim that, quote, crime lab forensics provided significant evidence linking David Hooks to the stash of methamphetamine seized, unquote, from thief and meth addict Rodney Garrett. We will learn more about that shortly. Given the grand jury findings and the prosecutor's lack of inclination to pursue criminal charges, against any of those involved in obtaining the warrant or executing it with a raid that culminated in the shooting death of David Hooks, there was only one avenue remaining for Teresa Hooks to pursue holding the sheriff and his men accountable. Months after the grand jury concluded its work with Sheriff Harrell making his bold accusations about the man who had been shot dead in the name of the law, Teresa's attorney, Mitchell Shook, declared that there was going to be only one way David Hooks would ever get justice, that his family would ever get it. And so on April 19, 2016, Teresa Hooks, in both her individual capacity and as the administrator of the estate of David Hooks, filed a lawsuit for wrongful death against Sergeant Chris Brewer, the man who created the misleading affidavit that led a magistrate to sign the warrant for the raid, and against Sheriff Bill Harrell, as well as against Officer Vertin, the man responsible for handcuffing and holding Teresa Hooks for over two hours on the night of the raid. In general, the lawsuit alleged that the search of the Hooks home the shooting death of Teresa's husband, and her own detention at the house violated the Fourth Amendment to the Constitution that protects against unreasonable searches and seizures. Teresa was claiming that police included false information and omitted key facts in the warrant affidavit, making it and the warrant's execution invalid. Among other things, Teresa Hooks's federal complaint stated, quote, neither Brewer nor any other officer of the Lawrence County Sheriff's Department ever corroborated Garrett's claim that the meth and scales of which he had possession and control 
had originated from Hooks's property, unquote. Therefore, the suit alleged, quote, the drug raid on the Hooks's home was illegal and never should have happened. It also leveled specific accusations against Sheriff Harrell, claiming that he, quote, harbored personal resentment against David Hooks and, upon learning of the Rodney Garrett allegations, sought to find a way to seize Hooks's assets through improper and unconstitutional means, unquote. The complaint noted the late hour of the raid, that the sheriff's department was well aware of a burglary against the Hooks, which had put them on a naturally heightened state of alert. It pointed out that, quote, numerous less intrusive means other than those utilized should have been employed in this situation, but were not, unquote. According to the lawsuit, the officers involved failed to properly knock and announce, but instead prematurely burst into the home through the rear door, quote, indiscriminately firing their weapons through the floor, walls, and ceiling of the home, unquote. The complaint contained accounts citing the false imprisonment of Teresa Hooks for having been handcuffed and held against her will without proper justification. The lawsuit sought damages for not only the death of David Hooks, but also for the fact that he was, quote, conscious for several hours, suffering excruciating pain and anguish from the gunshot wounds, unquote, and noting that David's last words were, help me. It also sought damages for Teresa's own suffering, including when she was handcuffed and held illegally for hours, as well as for the medical and funeral expenses of David Hooks. And finally, there was a claim for punitive damages against all of the defendants. Teresa Hooks was demanding a trial by jury. Meanwhile, Sheriff Bill Harrell issued a statement reiterating his accusations about David Hooks's ties to methamphetamine and providing more information. He claimed that, according to the GBI crime lab, from examining the container of meth Rodney Garrett had turned over, quote, biological evidence, including DNA, matched the container to David Hooks, unquote. This seemed to validate the original claim of Rodney Garrett that the container of meth came from David Hooks in the first place. Less than two months after the lawsuit was filed on behalf of Teresa Hooks and the David Hooks estate in June of 2016, the sheriff and his officers as defendants, represented by the law firm of Buckley, Christopher, and Half out of Atlanta, filed their obligatory answer to the complaint. They denied most of the allegations and asserted a variety of defenses. Subsequent to the answer filed on behalf of the defendants, 
their lawyers filed a motion for summary judgment based on their insistence that they were immune from suit. In a summary judgment, a party is basically asking the court to dismiss the lawsuit before a jury can ever see it. As was discussed in another True Suspense podcast, The Chloroform Capers, sovereign immunity means that unless the government gives its consent, it is not subject to a lawsuit, and that includes its officers and agents acting within the scope of their duties, though there are some narrow exceptions. The defense argument that would emerge centered on a form of sovereign immunity known as qualified immunity. Qualified immunity is an affirmative defense created by the Supreme Court in 1982 under which government officials performing discretionary functions generally are shielded from liability for civil damages insofar as their conduct does not violate clearly established or constitutional rights of which a reasonable person would have known. To put it a different way, an official is not shielded by sovereign immunity if his conduct does violate certain established statutory or constitutional rights. The lawsuit and the motion for summary judgment triggered the ability of each side to conduct depositions where witnesses called by the lawyers must answer questions on the record created by a court reporter who transcribes each deposition session. Lawyers for both sides are present and may make objections for the record, but depositions do not take place in a courtroom and no judge is present. Among those deposed between August of 2016 and April of 2017 were Rodney Garrett, the thief-turned-informant, Sheriff Harrell, Sergeant Brewer, Sergeant Brooks, other officers involved in the raid, and, of course, Teresa Hooks. Much of what you have heard in this podcast comes directly from sworn testimony from these depositions. During one of the depositions, information emerged about the accusation that had been leveled by Sheriff Harrell against David Hooks, where the sheriff had claimed that DNA evidence linked Hooks to the container of meth that Rodney Garrett claimed to have found at the Hooks property. On August 17th of 2016, Teresa's attorney, Mitchell Shook, took the deposition of Sheriff Harrell and painstakingly had the sheriff take him through what led him to assert that DNA evidence linked Hooks to the meth container. Sheriff Harrell attributed the information to a report from the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, the GBI. But as Shook went over the report with him, 
the sheriff could only point to a finding that the lab had found a, quote, hair from a white male, unquote, that may have borne some similarity. Shook was relentless in the questioning. So, when you said in your statement that DNA matched the container to David Hook's, that's misleading, isn't it, Sheriff? Here is the exchange from the official recording of the deposition. You will hear the attorney for Harold objecting, but Harold still answers the questions. When you published in the media, including Lawrence County, that there was DNA evidence matching David Hooks to the container, that was not true, was it? News of Sheriff Harrell's admission leaked to the public in October, and the very next month, in November of 2016, Harrell, who had been sheriff for 12 years, was standing for re-election. In his campaign to unseat the sheriff, candidate Larry Dean, a Dublin native and 28-year law enforcement veteran, heavily criticized Harrell for the way he had handled the entire Hooks matter. Although Sheriff Harrell had previously been re-elected to his position repeatedly, this time popular dismay over the Hooks case proved to be too much, and Larry Dean became the new sheriff, ousting Sheriff Bill Harrell. Back to the summary judgment motion filed on behalf of the defendants Brewer, Harrell, and Verton. Evidence and arguments over the motion was heard by Federal District Court Judge Dudley Bowen sitting in Dublin for the United States District Court for the Southern District of Georgia. In a scathing opinion, Judge Bowen ruled in favor of Teresa Hooks and denied the defendant's motion for summary judgment. Bowen found that the affidavit provided by Sergeant Brewer in support of the search warrant appeared to contain numerous, quote, falsities and material omissions, unquote. The judge found that, quote, a jury could easily conclude that defendant Brewer a. embellished, distorted, or otherwise supplied false inculpatory facts, and b. disregarded, ignored, or otherwise omitted material exculpatory facts. Judge Bowen continued, In the absence of the alleged falsities, and in consideration of the material omissions, defendants Brewer and Harrell had only the uncorroborated word of a known liar and car thief to put methamphetamine and other evidence of drug activity in the home of David Hooks. No reasonable officer, Judge Bowen continued, in the same circumstances and possessing the same knowledge could have believed probable cause existed to
to support the search warrant, unquote. As for the detention of Teresa Hooks, handcuffed and held in her own home while her husband was dying, Judge Bowen found that the law was clearly established at the time of this decision that, one, quote, absent an established exception thereto, probable cause is required to seize an individual even if no formal arrest is made, and two, the temporary detention during search pursuant to a search warrant exception only applies while a proper search is conducted, unquote. He also noted that, quote, no reasonable officer could have concluded that there was a justifiable benefit to detaining plaintiff because the premises were secured. She was not a suspect and she was readily available for interview at any subsequent point, unquote. Despite the judge's finding in favor of Teresa Hooks on the motion for summary judgment, the case was far from over. The defendants appealed the ruling to the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, insisting that they were protected by qualified immunity and, in the words of their attorney, quote, every step taken by the officers was under reasonable probable cause, unquote. The Court of Appeals issued its decision on June 19, 2020. It first looked at the claims against Sergeant Brewer, accused in the lawsuit of obtaining a warrant on false pretenses and without probable cause. The court agreed with Judge Bowen that Brewer was not entitled to protection based on qualified immunity at this stage of the case. The appeals court found that although, quote, Brewer was not required to turn over every rock, he should do something to ensure the affidavit's accuracy. And on that point, the record does not establish as a matter of law that Brewer did so, unquote. In fact, the court found that a jury could potentially find that Brewer's affidavit contained, quote, material misstatements and omissions, unquote. However, the appeals court reached a different conclusion about Officer Verton and Sheriff Harrell. It found that the law regarding detention of an occupant of a house in circumstances similar to those in which Teresa Hooks had been held was not clearly enough established, so Verton was entitled to qualified immunity. As to Harrell, the court found that the plaintiff, Teresa Hooks, could not meet the, quote, extremely rigorous supervisor liability standard, unquote. The court based this on its conclusion that, quote, Harrell was at the warrant execution meeting, but nothing suggests he was personally involved in unconstitutional conduct. He also had no role in securing the warrant. He did not direct subordinates to act unlawfully or know that the subordinates would act unlawfully, unquote. So, at the end of the day, the appeals court allowed Teresa Hooks' case continue against Sergeant Brewer, 
but throughout the case against former Sheriff Harrell and Officer Verton. Defense attorneys, who were now representing only Sergeant Brewer, tried to appeal to the United States Supreme Court in November 2020 by filing a writ of certiorari claiming that the Court of Appeals should have found that Brewer, too, was entitled to qualified immunity. However, in February of 2021, the Supreme Court had the last word. It denied cert, meaning that Teresa Hooks would be able to take her case against Sergeant Brewer to trial by jury conducted by Judge Bowen in the Federal District Court. Later that year, Judge Bowen scheduled the trial for February of 2022. Both sides submitted a blizzard of motions seeking to limit evidence the other side could bring at trial. In most instances, the judge ruled against Brewer. Jury selection was to take place on February 28. The trial was to be bifurcated, meaning it would be held in two stages. The jury would first be asked to decide whether Sergeant Brewer intentionally or with reckless disregard included false or misleading information or omitted information which was material to the magistrate judge's determination of probable cause to issue the search warrant. If that threshold issue were determined in favor of the plaintiff, the jury would then hear about the consequences of the search warrant to determine whether the invalid search warrant had been the proximate cause of any damages to Teresa Hooks individually or as the administrator of the estate of David Hooks. But in the days leading up to the trial, after the parties indicated a willingness to at least discuss settlement with the court, Judge Bowen ordered mediation between the parties to be conducted by the Honorable Brian Epps, United States Magistrate Judge. An all-day mediation session was held on February 22, 2022, at the courthouse in Dublin, Georgia. The mediation was successful, and the parties reached a settlement agreement. The amount is confidential, but there can be no doubt that under the circumstances, it must have involved a very substantial sum of money for Teresa Hooks. And so ended the saga of the night raids that had led to the death of David Hooks. Teresa's attorney, Mitchell Shook, issued a statement that I will let stand as a fitting finale. The statement read as follows, quote, Teresa Hooks is pleased to announce that she won her fight for justice for her husband, David Hooks. She has successfully settled her lawsuit against those responsible for the death of David. She believes that her victory makes everyone safer in their homes, safer from the kind of reckless police home invasions which took the life of her husband. Seven years and five months ago, 
David Hooks was gunned down in his own home because of the sheer incompetence and willingness to intentionally violate the constitutional rights of David Hooks by the former Sheriff Bill Harrell, former Drug Task Force Supervisor Agent Chris Brewer, and the members of the Sheriff's response team. The long journey to get justice for David Hooks has seen the individuals responsible for his death chastised by the United States District Court and the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. Even the Supreme Court of the United States refused to consider the defendant's last appeal. With jury selection set to begin February 28th at the federal courthouse in Dublin, the court ordered a mediation take place. As a result of a day-long mediation, the wrongful death civil rights lawsuit filed on behalf of Teresa Hooks has been fully resolved. The terms of the settlement are confidential, but the terms were reached only when defendant met Mrs. Hooks' demands. Teresa Hooks and her entire family pray that their many years fighting for justice will send a clear message to law enforcement officers that you will be held accountable when you violate the constitutional rights of Georgia citizens, unquote. On behalf of the True Suspense podcast, I would like to thank you for listening to Night Raids. Night Raids is a production of True Suspense Podcasts, written and narrated by me, Arthur Perlstein. Music, sound engineering, and post-production by Guy Bainbridge and Walls End Studios. Be sure to visit truesuspense.com for more information about this podcast and other True Suspense productions. <laughs>